Amen. The Lord is in this place. His spirit is here. His spirit is here in us as believers. His word is alive. It is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to cut between what is from us and what is from him and speak truth to us today. Amen. Have you come to hear some truth today? Yeah, I have too. And to learn and to grow and to change in the whole process. Man, this is gonna be an exciting week for us here at Vertical. Uh, the youth conference is coming up starting tomorrow evening. Excited about that. Truett, how many have you got signed up? Close to 50 already. That is so great. So that's Monday through Thursday. And then uh, Friday is our Good Friday service right here. And we'll have a special time of worship, uh, a look at some scripture and communion, uh, a very special way for us to take communion that is really kind of different than what we've been doing. So I'd encourage you to be here Friday night from just six to seven. It won't be long, and we have child care for those three and under uh, in our, our children's ministry area. We're excited about that. And then next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Yeah, man, I'm so excited about that as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, the power of life over death, over Jesus, over the grave, over his victory, over our failures, amen. And I can't wait, two services, okay, 9 and 10.30, so be at one of those. Our children's ministry will be in both of those. You can bring your children. Uh, a special gift for every person that comes that will give you a very tangible way to remember that the cross heals. So, I'm not gonna tell you what it is. I'm just gonna tell you you wanna be here for that. And I'll say to you, it's always a good Sunday to invite someone to vertical, but on that Sunday, it's a special Sunday. You know, it's one of those times that people that might not go to church normally, they would go on a, an Easter Resurrection Sunday, it'd be a great time to invite them. As you know, they come in here to Vertical, they're gonna be welcomed, they're gonna be loved, and they're gonna hear a message of hope. So I'd encourage you to bring a friend, bring a, a neighbor, coworker, family member, someone who doesn't have anything else to do on Easter Sunday morning, uh, invite them here to Vertical, and let's see what God does in our midst. So uh, I wanna make this announcement as we get started in our message today. Let's put our QR code up there. If you have questions today during the message, if you wanna get your camera out, you can scan this code right now. It'll take you to a link where you can type in a question and we'll get that later, but we'll get it today. We'll get it as soon as you send it, actually, but I'm not going to read them during the message, but I will read them later, and they will become how we shape our podcast this week. So, feel free to do that. If during the message you end up having three questions, that's okay. You can send in three questions. You can also use the Church Center app. If you open that up for Vertical Church, scroll down just a little bit, you'll see a link there where you can click, and you can also uh, send your question in there. So, uh, do that today. These messages um, are designed to hit into the very relevant areas of life, and sometimes that brings in questions, and we want to address those, and we do that in our podcast. This past week, we were unable to. I had, man, from about Tuesday morning till early Friday, I had some kind of flu-like virus. It was brutal, uh, but praise God. I'm up, I'm good, and feeling fine, so I'm grateful for that. So we did not do a podcast this past week. If you're wondering what happened, I submitted some questions, I didn't ever see anything, it's coming. 
we'll get there this week. Amen? So God is in the business and very active today in healing people's lives. It's happening today. I'm not just talking about physical healings. That does happen as well, no question. But God is in, at work in healing hearts that have been broken, in healing past memories, in healing failures, in healing the way we think, in healing our emotions, in healing behaviors and relationships. He's in the process of doing all of that today. And he does it very methodically and consistently in those who will say, God, I give you all of my heart for you to do with what you want to do and for you to heal what has been broken in me. God loves to heal and he looks for those who will open their whole life to him for him to do the work of healing. God never intended for our relationship with him to be a compartmentalized piece of life. You, you, were, you were meant for so much more than that. You were meant for a full-on life in which every part of your life the past, the present, the relationships, your work, your friends, every bit of it, every bit of it be touched and healed by him. And so when we try to live with him compartmentalized, when we try to segment off Jesus away and say, well, I like to keep my Jesus neat and clean on Sunday. You know, he's good on Sundays from 10 to 10.30 at 33.30, I mean, from 10.30 to noon at 33.33 Old Villa Road. That's here. Uh, and as long as I can keep him there, that's great. And then I'll come back and see him again next week. No, if you're living that kind of compartmentalized, segmented life, that is a, watch this, that is a dysfunctional life. That is not the functional life that you were called to. God is a, an all-consuming, powerful God that always operates out of the fullness of who he is. He doesn't do anything with a little piece of who he is. And so what he does in us is he asks us to come and bring our whole self to him. Not parts, not hide some away, but to bring the whole to him. If you try to segment some piece away, if you try to take, let's say, um, your emotions and the emotions of struggle and pain that you feel, and you segment those away and say, you know, I really... I just want to keep them for myself. I don't want to see what the Bible or what God or what Jesus has to say about my emotions. Well, I can tell you right away, when that happens, your emotions are going to be in dis-ease. They are not going to be whole and healthy. They will be in dis-ease. That's what the word disease means, to be at dis-against ease, against the plan, the purpose that God created us for. If you take your thinking, your, the way you think in your mind, and you say, well, I, that part is, that's my area. I don't want to bring my thoughts under the control of Jesus Christ. Well, I already know what's going to happen. I can tell you, your thoughts are going to be in a place of dis-ease. 
The same happens with every area of your life. You say, well, I don't want to bring him into my relationships. I keep that area compartmentalized. Well, then your relationships are going to be in dis-ease. Any part of life that you segment away from him, you will find yourself in a place of dis-ease. If you keep your physical body away from what God has planned for your life, and you say, I'll do what I want, it's my life, my body, my choice kind of thing, you will find yourself in a place of dis-ease because you're walking against the very plans and purposes of God that he has for your life. But when we come to him whole, willing to do whatever he wants to do, bring our sin, bring our self, and lay it down and allow him to redeem and heal, he will heal us, amen? He will do new things. He'll resurrect you. He'll raise you up. He'll give you new life because the cross does heal. So that's what happens at salvation. The day you confess your sins and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I need you in my life. I now yield my life to walk in your ways from this point forward. The day you do that, you are born again. You start new life in Jesus Christ. And he begins that process of healing you and then healing every part of your life. And the more you'll bring to him, the more he will heal. He will heal your thinking. He will heal your brokenness. He'll start to heal the places where you have been mourning. He'll start to heal the places where you've craved all the attentions of the world. He'll start healing all the places where you've been insecure and bitter and depressed and anxious. All of those things. He'll begin the process of healing that and he'll make you as you walk with him not like you were before. He'll change you. I am not the person I was a year ago, because God is in the process of changing me. It's one of the most, uh, it ought to be one of the most um, concerning statements if someone were to come to you and say, you hadn't changed a bit. Uh, There should be something about that that should cause you just a little bit of concern, like, really? I mean, I hadn't seen you in 20 years, and you think I'm exactly the same as I was then? No, as believers in Jesus Christ, we ought to be in the process of ongoing transformation, just changing everything, the way I think, the way I relate, the way I see life, my attitudes, my emotions, everything about me changing continually, being conformed to the very image of Jesus Christ, amen? So God is in the process of healing. Now, the scripture says for that to happen, that there has to be something very specific first. There's something that comes before healing in almost every case in the Bible. There are some cases where Jesus just healed someone out of grace, but in many cases, there was something that God called the people to that became something that was necessary before healing could occur. And from what I find, it's consistent and it's true. And it's something that's important for you and I. It's a word that based on whatever your church experience has been in the past, when I write it on the board, you're gonna have an emotional reaction to it. You're gonna have a response to it in your head. You're gonna have a picture of what it looks like Uh, And our staff meeting this past week, I asked them, and it was interesting to hear all the different versions of how they saw this one word and what it meant to them and how they saw it lived out and what it would be like if they were to do this or when they do this. 
The word is this. Depend upon which church setting you've been in, you have a different association with this word. True? You do. You may have been in a church setting where to hear the word repent, you associated with coming down front at the altar at the end of the service and there being lots of emotion, right? Anybody have that kind of association with this word, repent? Okay, wow. Me and one other person in the room. Okay, cool. All right. Glad you are with me today. That's awesome. It might be that you've had this association with this word that it involves um, some radical changes to your life where you have this shift of, I never did that thing ever, ever, ever again. Or for you, it might be this very, very emotional experience, which is filled with just heaviness and harshness. And it involves someone confronting you and pointing out all of your sin, and then you had to repent. And what's interesting in the Bible is you have some of those associations where you find someone was, uh, in the Old Testament you find this often, where they were in sackcloth and ashes repenting where they were in this place on the ground before God and they were weeping and they were heaping ashes upon themselves and they wore this sackcloth, this rough garment as a way of showing their brokenness before God, which is all great and a beautiful picture. But when you come to the New Testament, the word repent doesn't always have this association of tears, lots of emotion, or being scolded. Instead, it has this single notion that you intentionally changed your way. Repent. You repented. You were going one way and then you heard truth and it caused you to intentionally turn and go the other way because you realized why would I want to keep going this way? I was destroying myself going this way. This was dreadful to me. I was walking in my own way, but I turned because I heard God speak to me and I turned from where I was going to go in a new path. So I want to put this up here because this is going to be very important for the rest of the day. Intentionally changing I'm going to add a word here, thinking and behavior. So as believers in Jesus Christ, we came into the faith by repentance. You did. You came in because you said, God, I recognize I'm a sinner and I'm going in a path that is the path of destruction. And you repented. There was some sorrow about where you had been and you intentionally turned and you changed how you thought and you changed how you behaved. You started walking down a new path. It's a very important word in scripture, repent. To intentionally change your direction. Now, 
Also, what's fascinating in Scripture, as I mentioned earlier, is that repentance is that word that comes before often there's healing. If you want to see healing happen, then there has to be a place of repenting in your life. There has to be some intentionality about you changing the direction, changing your thinking, and when you do, when you hear God and you intentionally make the choice to move toward Jesus, then and only then does healing occur. And this is how God works today. He still works in this same path. Let me show you some verses from Scripture that reinforce this truth. From the book of Acts, after the Holy Spirit has been given, you hear this message to the people where they said, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So that times of life and times of healing, you see it? Repent and then healing. Change, life. Requires an action and then the healing comes. Let me show you another one. Jesus called the disciples and he sent them out on mission and he said that, so they, or the scripture says, so they went out and they preached that people should repent. He called people to change their lifestyle, change their thinking, and it says, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Healed them. Only when there is repentance can there be healing that follows. This is gonna be where we're headed today. Because sometimes you might be like me and you think, well, I wanna see God do some healing of some things in my life that'd be awesome. He does too. But often for that healing to occur, he calls us to some deeper levels of repentance, of change, and intentionality in our life. And this is what he's calling us to. I believe. Our message today is called Healing Follows This One Thing. And today, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark, the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. There at the beginning of the New Testament. The Gospel of Mark chapter 6. You can follow along on screen. You can follow along your Bible app, paper Bible, whatever you've got. At this time, um, Jesus has been contacted by one of the synagogue leaders and the synagogue leader's daughter is near death, and he is distraught. So he calls for Jesus and begs him to come and heal his daughter. And as they begin their journey, our story picks up today. So we're going to be in Mark 6. You know, it says Mark 6, but it should say Mark 5. How about that? Bad on me. Mark 5. This is totally unrelated, but it just hit my head. What, why is Mark 5 significant? It sounds like Mach 5. Who says Speed Racer? Yeah, Speed Racer, the Mach 5. Oh, totally unrelated. That's, that's just funny. All right, we're in Mark 5, not Mach 5. Um, verse 25. Verse 24. So Jesus 
went with him. Remember the synagogue leader who had the daughter who was about to die? And it said, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now that almost sounds painful to be thronged, but it's, it's kind of a new King James word that means everybody was pressing around him. I, I imagine Jesus trying to walk down a path and the crowd is just everywhere. Everybody's, have you ever been to the state fair and you're trying to get through the crowd and you're just like, oh man. I see the corn dog place, but it's going to be 20 more minutes before we get there. You know, because just like all that's just crowds all around you. Well, that's what's happening here. They are everywhere. They're all up against him, and all the disciples are around, and they can barely make it down the lane. Verse 25 Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. Now, scripture is very plain and sometimes presents us for some socially awkward moments. This is one of them because scripture just revealed something that a woman would never want anyone to always be aware of, that she had an issue. She had a, a flow of blood beyond her normal cycle that had been present for 12 years. Now guys, we have a hard time relating to this, but every woman in, in this room knows that had to be devastating, physically devastating to have that type of weakness, uh, to have a condition that just would not stop. And this has gone on for 12 years. Verse 26, it says, and she had suffered many things from many physicians. Mm. She went to a lot of people for help, but they really weren't able to give her help. In fact, she only suffered more because of what they did. Now, it's such a very vulnerable, personal condition, and she's having to put herself before doctors and doctors, and their work is not really helpful. This just adds to the complications of this moment. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. 12 years, she's had this flow of blood, weak, confused, frustrated, seeing doctors, and she spends every amount of money she has on this pursuit. She wants healing more than anything, but no one, no one can give it to her. In fact, their work only makes it worse for her. Sad, tragic. Now, a little bit of background to the story that would be important is that according to the law of the Old Testament, Leviticus 15, most specifically, if a woman had a flow of blood beyond her normal cycle time and that flow did not stop, she was to be considered unclean. Now, this means that she could not participate in worship, being around other people, 
taking a sacrifice, drawing near to God in a public setting. She was considered unclean and had to be isolated, kept away, and she bore that title during that time. Can you imagine? And the law in Leviticus 15 said three things. That if she touched anything during that time, the thing would become also unclean. It would not be able to be used for God's service to be around other people. If she touched anything, but also if she touched any person, they would then be considered unclean because she was unclean. Now, if you're, if you're starting to catch up with the game here, what's happening, it's like, oh my word, whatever this poor woman did was against her wherever she went, which couldn't be far. She couldn't be around many people and she couldn't have many things because whatever she had was considered unclean. So whatever she touched, whoever she touched, and she herself was considered unclean as well. She bore that name. She bore the one name of isolated. Not enough at this time. Not fit to be around others. Dirty. Rejected. So if you put yourself in her place, I really can't. I try to imagine the thoughts and emotions that go with that that would have all just consumed her in this, at this time. And not just for this one time, 12 years. And if others in the community found out, then she had to bear that name before them as well. The passage goes on, verse 27. But when she heard about Jesus... That changes things. She came behind him in the crowd. Remember, they're all doing the state fair shuffle, just trying to get down the road. This woman, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched, touched his garment. What was the one thing she shouldn't be doing anywhere, touching? She shouldn't be touching anything because whatever she touches could be defiled or would be defiled. And she reaches out and touched his garment. Verse 28 gives us some insight into her thinking. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. She heard about this one who had come. She heard that he was different. She heard that he ate with sinners, that he was a friend to those who were the outcast, that he was a man of great love and grace, and he had the power to heal. And this changed everything for her. Immediately, immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Now, remember, she's doing all this silently at this point. She works away into the crowd, hand through the crowd, touches just his garment, 
pulls back away, notices, I mean, they move on, and she all of a sudden notices, oh, something's changing in me. It's, it's stopped. It's not there anymore. I've been healed. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? I mean, it's just almost comedic to think about. There's a crowd. They're doing the state fair shuffle again, you know? And, and then Jesus stops and says, wait, someone touched me. No, he said, someone touched my clothes. Well, there's a lot of people here, Jesus. They're all around. And that's what the disciples say, verse 31. But the disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? Verse 32, and he looked around to see her who had done this thing. Oh, he knew. He wasn't asking for his benefit. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Remember what I said about the whole life? She told him everything, the whole truth. Verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. What a beautiful story. What a powerful demonstration of God's power to heal those who are willing to bring everything to him. So when I look at this story and I think about what we're talking about today, and the fact that I use this word, and the fact that we just read Mark 5, and we didn't see the word repent once in that passage. And if repent comes before healing, what did this woman repent of? What did she change? What in her changed so that she could experience Healing. Let's do this. We'll keep drawing here. We've all become very accustomed and familiar with something that looks a little like this in recent years. It's not a tick. It's not a spider. It's not the COVID-19 thing, but it's very similar, right? We all know the look of a disease, or as we've been saying, a dis-ease. There are lots of dis-ease that come into our life because of our own choices and because we live in a sinful world. And this woman made some choices to walk away from dis-ease that she had to find the healing that Jesus had for her. And we're gonna see that she is gonna make some very intentional change to her thinking and behavior, and as a result, she experiences 
healing. It's a consistent pattern in the Bible, and it's what God does in us. He calls us to take some intentional steps to change how we think and behave. Because listen to me, healing doesn't just happen to spectators. Just because you're in the room where it happened doesn't mean that you're gonna experience healing. If you're gonna be the spectator who stays on the sidelines watching other people be changed by Jesus and never get up in the game to make some intentional changes in your own thinking and behavior, you won't be the one that experiences healing. And if you're looking for something to happen in your marriage, in your thinking, in your emotions, in your job, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your relationship with your kids, if you're looking for some kind of healing to happen, it's going to require some repenting, some changing, some intentional change of direction in how you thought, an intentional change of direction in what you are doing. Amen? It's a hard call that the gospel calls us to. It's a hard call that's not often preached today. Sometimes what we get is more of a soft call of the gospel that says, oh, come on, come with what you have and come with what you got and it'll all work out. No, the call of the gospel is to repent of your sin. The call of the gospel is to recognize the holiness of God. The call of the gospel is to recognize you are dead in your sin without Jesus Christ. The call of the gospel is to take up your cross and follow him. The call of the gospel is to leave where you've been going and pursue Jesus with all your life. The call of the gospel is to leave thinking you've got it figured out and you'll run your life, but instead allowing God to be the one that runs every element of your life. This is the call of the gospel. The call of the gospel says, put your emotions and your thinking and your urges in a pit somewhere and follow after every urge and calling of Jesus Christ in your life. That's the calling of our day today, amen? What we are witnessing on a grand scale globally today is the idolizing of the me, my urge, my desire, my wants, my longings, I do what I want, I try to feel all I can, and then I go in that direction. Biological gender doesn't seem to mean anything to people anymore, but it matters to God, he created you that way. You walk in that. People wanna just do whatever sin they want today as though that doesn't matter, but it matters to God because that sin is killing you and killing others. So God calls us to this level of repent repenting for there to be healing, and she did that. This woman, though the passage never uses the word repent, she made some intentional, conscious steps to leave the life she had been in and to follow and pursue Jesus with full passion 
and desperation. I think about the law and what she had to probably have known that as a woman who was in her condition, that whoever she touched, she would make them unclean. Now, who wants to be around anybody when you're the one that if you touch anybody, oh, mark all of myself. Who wants to be around the person that makes everybody else unclean? And this woman had to have wrestled with the place of dis-ease within her own soul. And so I imagine it probably looks something like this, her first dis-ease. I could never know love. I mean, if you know that you're gonna defile every person you t- touch, then you'd have to come to a conclusion about yourself and think, why try? If every relationship I get into is gonna fail, if every person, once they find out something about me, is gonna leave me, why would I even try to get involved into a relationship? If I've got this thing in me that breaks every relationship, I've got this thing in me that defiles every relationship, I've got this thing in me that no one else might know about, and if I tell anybody, they're gone. And I don't know, we don't find anything in Scripture about whether she had parents or if they were, had movie, maybe moved off the scene, maybe had gone home to be with the Lord. We don't know. She didn't, it's not listed. There's nothing about family. The way the story reads, it was her, just her, 12 years alone. And she's carrying this weight of, I don't know that I could ever know love. I could never be held. I could never hold anyone. I'll never know the touch of another man's hand. I'll never know the security of being next to one who provides for me. I'll never know affection and how sad that must have been to be cut off, rejected, because there was something in her that was broken. And for 12 years, she listened to this. For 12 years, she lived in isolation. For 12 years, she believed, this is going to be my life. Until she heard about Jesus. Then she said, wait a minute, this man, I hear he eats with sinners. I hear he is a man of grace and truth. I hear he is a man who loves. And she says, I've got to get to him because he could heal me. And what I would suggest today is that as devastating as the flow of blood is, there were some other diseases inside her that were greater than the physical. If you live with this right here, 
This is greater than any physical condition that you could ever struggle with. If you don't think anyone could ever love you, if you don't think you could ever have worth in anyone else's eyes, if you don't think you'd ever have value in a relationship, this is a far greater dis-ease right here. If you think everyone calls you unclean, if you think everyone sees you as rejected, if you think everyone else sees you as the failure, if you think everyone else sees you as the loser, this is far more devastating than a flow of blood, not to lessen that. But the issues of the soul are greater than the issues of the body. So this woman, when she heard about Jesus, she made her way to him, she found him, she touched him. And I wanna go back here. Um, let's go back, let's go back one verse. Or the next one. Or the next one. There we go. When she comes and she tells him everything, Look what Jesus says to her. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Now we blew through that a minute ago. I just blew through it again. Let me slow this down. He says to a woman who has not known the touch of a mother or father or a husband or a friend because everybody she touches, she defiles. And Jesus is touched by her and the first thing Jesus says to her is, daughter, daughter. He said, I receive you into my family. I receive you. And he received her and gave her the most delightful name that had to have changed her in an instant when he said, daughter. Here she found in Jesus the thing she had longed for here is a man who I told everything to. And he didn't say foolish, condemned, rejected, unclean. He said to me, daughter. This is where healing came to her. When she heard and responded to the title, daughter. It brought healing. But it's also interesting, I think another dis-ease that she had was, remember first, she, whoever she touched, whoever she touched was unclean, but also <laughs> also the law said that she was unclean. That there was something in her that was broken, that she, not just what she had done, not just how she had performed, but that her, in, a, in who she was as a person, was unclean and defiled. And it led to this dis-ease that God is against me. She lived with that. She carried it around like a dark umbrella. God is against me. I am in a place of rejection. I can't go worship him. I can't offer sacrifices to him. I can't be around other people. 
I can't know blessings in my life. I can't know his favor. I can't know his touch. I can't know any of the blessings in, his, in my life that he has because I am unclean. I am defiled. I am broken. And she lived with that dis-ease. And when you live with this, in your mind and in your heart, it is a greater dis-ease than any other physical malady that you could ever experience. When you live under the weight, God is against me. God is out to get me. God is judging me. God's gonna rain down lightning. I hear people say that when they come to church. Well, I know lightning's probably gonna strike because I'm here today. Really? That's your view of God? He's the lightning bolt zapper? What's going on that make you think that? When you live under that kind of condemnation, that kind of weight, that kind of devastation, you will be in a place of dis-ease. You will all the time evaluate your life as the worst. Oh, it's just the worst. Those people are out to get me, it's the worst. No one likes me, it's the worst. My family's all against me, it's the worst. My job, everybody hates me at my job, it's the worst. It's the worst hearing all that. But there are, this is a very common soul dis-ease that God is against me. Look here. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've come to Jesus like this woman did, the Bible makes it clear. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your sin has been removed. The umbrella has been tossed aside. Now favor comes from the Father. Stop calling him an angry, lightning zapper God because he has blessed you and he calls you his son and he calls you his daughter. He's made you his own. He's brought you into his family and you have been redeemed. It's time to repent of this kind of thinking because this will put you in a place of dis-ease. This will make you do some weird stuff. You look around the world today and you see people doing weird stuff. Look. They ultimately have this dis-ease. This is the reason Jesus came. He said, I came that they may have life and have it more abundant. He said, I've come to set the captives free. I've come to bring good news to the poor. He wasn't talking about the financially poor. He was talking about the spiritually devastated and poor who thought God was against them. That's spiritual poverty. And so Jesus comes to set the captives free. And so he says to this woman, he says to this woman who has struggled, who couldn't get to the synagogue, who couldn't get near the temple, who couldn't go anywhere where other believers were, who thought she had done too much, was too broken. She comes to him and she touches his garment and she doesn't die. She touches his garment and she's not condemned. She touches his garment and she's not called a curse. 
She touches his garment and instead healing happens because she had made an intentional change to her thinking and behavior and she heard Jesus say, your faith has made Oh, you know I hate it when that happens. I'm hating this even more right now. Here we go. Has made you well. She chose to repent of thinking, I could never know love. God is against me. She said, I heard about this, Jesus, and I'm changing I was going down the path of these and I stopped and said, no, I'm going to get to Jesus. And as a result, she finds healing. He calls her daughter and he says, your faith has made you well. Now, we gotta read the next part of it so I can bring out what to me is one of the most favorite parts of the story. Well, he's got it up there, let's do this. So Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you well. And then you see this? He said, go in peace and be healed of your affliction. What? I thought she just got made well already. And then he says, go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Your faith has made you well. That's healing. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. That's healing. Watch this. This has everything to do with the dis-ease in her soul. That has everything to do with the disease in her body. And if you want to find the healing that you need, then you break the disease of bad belief, and then you'll find healing for your soul, and then you may even experience some healing in your body. I'm telling you. But it all starts here with repenting of some wrong belief. Let's do the last one. The other dis-ease was that that she carried for so long was I am cursed. Can you imagine living under the weight that everything that you did was cursed? Nothing was gonna work. Didn't matter what relationship, job venture, project, relationship, whatever it was, whatever it was you got into, it was going to be cursed. It was not going to work. She carried this burden. She carried the weight of it through her life. And instead of being able to live any kind of vibrant life, she lived a life of isolation, desperation, depression, anxiety, always consumed with her world and how difficult, pitiful, and hard that it was. But there came this moment again where she heard about Jesus and she said, I've got to leave this dis-ease belief that I am forever cursed because I've heard that Jesus is different and I've got to get to him. And she did. And so she left where she had been. She intentionally changed her thinking and behavior. She left her house. If you're going to get to the crowd where Jesus is doing the state fair shuffle, you've got to leave your house. 
You gotta get out of your comfort zone. You gotta leave where you've been. You've gotta, you've gotta leave your place of isolation. You've gotta leave your place, your little circle that you've lived in. You've gotta leave your past. You've gotta leave all your impossibilities. You've gotta leave your pain. You've gotta leave and you've gotta make your way with desperation to get to Jesus no matter the cost. And this is what she did. She intentionally changed her thinking from I could never know love, that God is against me, and I am cursed, and she turned and got to Jesus with desperation. She reached out for him in that moment, and she touched his garment when there were so many others that were touching him that day. It's fascinating that Jesus even recognizes it. I mean, that's just a light touch. If Jesus has a robe on that you and I are not accustomed to, if it's long and it's flowing and it's loose and someone comes up and just touches the garment, you and I would most likely never even notice, but Jesus noticed. And it wasn't because she was the only one who touched him. There was something different about this woman than everybody else on the crowd there that day. A lot of people were in the space where Jesus was. A lot of people were touching Jesus where he was there. But when she touched him, the Bible says power went out from him. And he knew it. Because power always goes to those who have faith. And she went with a desperation of passion, I've got to get to Jesus. And that power came alive and she was healed that day. Now, this makes for an interesting observation that I said earlier. You can be in a room where Jesus is and still not be healed. You can be in a room where Jesus is and there's healing and you still not have some healing. You can be in the space but not have healing because spectators are not those who are healed. It's those who are intentionally willing to change their thinking and their behavior to get to Jesus. Let's finish our board up. The final thing that Jesus said to her was, go in peace and be healed. I think this is when the physical healing happened for her. This is when it all changed for her. And as great as that was, this was even greater. So I just want to ask us today, are there some of this that you have been believing in your life? I could never know love. Not necessarily from other people. I could never know the love of God to know he smiles on me, his favors for me that he deeply, passionately 
persistently loves me. Or maybe you've believed the dis-ease that God is somehow against you, that he's the one who is trying to thwart all your efforts, that he is the one who's stopping you from ever experiencing real joy in your life, or that somehow you have sinned so greatly that you live under a curse now, that your life will be cursed from this point forward. These are the enemy's diseases, and Jesus comes to heal all of them. It says, you come to me if you think you could never know love because I'll bring you right into my family. I'll make you my own child. If you think I'm against you, come to me and tell me the whole truth and I will make you well inside. In that part of your soul that needs healing, that part of your soul that has been dark and depressed and anxious, I'll bring healing there. And for all the curse that you thought you've worked under and that your life is doomed for, Jesus says, when you've come to me, I send you out to go to your life and to go with peace. Peace. It's settled. Now, be healed. Enjoy the healing of what it means to walk in Jesus. Amen? Hey, Last week, we had a story of a young man who came down here and was baptized because God had done some healing in his life, right? We're about to do the same thing again today with another young man. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So, I'm going to introduce Truett, our youth director here, and he's going to introduce uh, the young man for our day and tell the story. So, Truett, y'all take it. All right, so um, this right here is a conversation that me and Seth Stutt have been having. So Seth, you can go ahead and come on up. So last week uh, at Youth, we got to interview Seth. It's already on. Uh, we got to interview Seth, talk about his life, and share his life with the students so they got to see a real-life picture of what change looks like in someone that's their age and going through the same stuff that they're in. So... Just a brief uh, overview of the story. Seth, uh, like five years ago or so, you got baptized, didn't you? Here. Yes. So, so I don't, I don't know who's all been here for like that long, but five yeah. years ago, this tank, I was baptized in. Five years ago. I was like 13. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just the motives and like the reasoning of behind it, I really don't know to this day. It was something where like my older brother got baptized on the same day. And I was like, I want to like follow suit. Like maybe my parents will be proud of me. Maybe, you know, I'll be accepted in the kingdom of heaven. And maybe this is the only step I really need. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, that, that was my whole reason of getting baptized yeah, five years ago. For sure. Uh, and I'm sure there in that, you, I've heard you tell the story. You came up here very emotional and experiencing, yes. you know, conviction and all that stuff and recognizing your sin. Definitely. Um, but from there, you get baptized, but then you kind of go on a little different path, and I'll just briefly summarize some of the things, uh, going, walking through depression and lots of anxiety and, and stress and, and friends. So and much, so much anxiety, so much depression, so much stress, but mm-hmm. the biggest thing is that I bottled it up. Yeah. I never told anyone. I never yeah. talked to anyone about it, yeah. and I just kept it inside me, and it just kept eating me away. Yeah. So uh, what was it that changed you uh, in all of that stuff right there? Um, I mean, 
it was really just like having those people that you could just talk to. Mm-hmm. I mean, first it was Matt Gray from yeah. the old youth pastor. I could talk yeah. to him. I could tell him everything. The first person I ever talked to. And then I started having good friends that I could talk to. Some of these guys. I could just lay everything out and just tell them I'm struggling with all this stuff and I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And then as well, they turned me to God. They said, yeah. you got you to gotta give it to him. You can't do this all on your own. I'm trying to do everything on my own. You can't do everything on your own. You got to give it to him and you just got to rest. Yeah. Yeah, so there was a first baptism and a path you went down, but now you came up to me about two or three weeks ago and you said, hey, I wanna get baptized again. So what is it about this step that's so different for you this time around? Um, So first baptism, I walk off the stage. If someone came up to me and asked me, so you're saved, right? You're 100% saved. I would be like, uh, 98. And you ever heard the phrase of like, if you're not not 100% sure, you're not saved. Like if you're 99% sure, you're not saved. And so back then I wasn't confident, but like I went up to Truett, I'm like, I'm 100% confident in my faith and that I will be in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And I think that calls for baptism. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So that's what we are here to do today. We're gonna baptize this young man. Uh, so let's make our way on back here. thing I want to do. If you're here uh, in support of Seth, would you go ahead and stand up? I know you got a huge crowd here, so you go ahead and stand up. Yeah. Look at that. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's good stuff. Yeah. All right. Y'all can have a seat. I got to let the people behind y'all see. I know that's a whole big old crowd over here. These are a lot of the guys that Seth has grown with, has talked with, uh, and is They've helped him grow in his faith. And so, uh, man, Seth, I'm, I'm so proud of the steps you've taken, uh, the change in your life, the change that God's brought about in your life. I'm thankful for your repentance, and I'm excited to baptize you as my brother in Christ. So, you've been buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. 